God, we do worship Your holy name in this place. You are the God of all grace, the God of all creation, the Lord of all the earth, the One who made the heavens, the stars, the galaxies, and the One who knit us together in our mother's wombs. We worship You, Lord. And we thank You that even as we bless You, as we open up our souls to worship You, that You pour back into us. That You fill us with Your Spirit. That You refresh us. That You strengthen us. That You encourage us. That You build us up. And so, Lord, we pray with eager expectation, meet us this morning. Have Your way among us to encourage, to convict, to heal, to bless us even as we bless You. For Your faithful, steadfast love endures forever. Amen. Friends, God greets us this morning with these words. May the love of God our Father, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and may the comfort and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with each one of you, now and forevermore. Amen. I invite you to take many moments to greet each other with the love of God. Lord, thank You that when we say, when Your eyes are on this child, these children, Your grace abounds to us, that we can sing those words knowing that You don't take Your eyes off of us. That even when we take our eyes off of You, Your eye, Your loving eye, is always on us. Lord, we bless You for that. We thank You for drawing our eyes back toward You this morning. And um, we lift them to You in prayer. Before we do that, we bless the children. Children, we, we bless You to go and to continue to worship the Lord in children's worship. If You'd follow Mr. Mark and his team. And the rest of us, church family, I invite you to take a seat as we carry on in prayer. So for those of you who are visiting, this is family prayer time and this is a time where everyone prays. We lift our praise, our requests. We confess our sins. We adore God. We thank Him. All in our own voice, our own words. And um, everyone is invited to pray. Before we pray, I just want to share a couple of quick things. One, uh, praise... Anna's mom um, was admitted for an emergency surgery this week, um, lost feeling in her legs and um, had to have a pacemaker put in her heart. And the doctor said if she'd come a day later, she'd not have lived. And so just to praise that she's okay and she's home recovering. And Anna and I want to thank you for all of your prayers. We, um, We got back on Tuesday from Ottawa. It was a whirlwind of a week, but it was so good to be with our family. For those of you who don't know, Two of my grandparents died, uh, husband and wife, six days apart. Sixty-two and a half years married. Both knew the Lord, loved Him, and had both suffered for five plus years. So um, we're grateful that they're home with the Lord. It was also hard to watch my dad lose two parents in the span of a week. So it was good to be with him. And um, we felt your prayers. So we thank you for that. 
Let's go to God in prayer. Father, again, we thank You that Your eye is upon us, that Your presence, Your Spirit is here with us. And so we pray, hear our prayers and draw our prayers out of the depths of our hearts. Lord, hear us. We want to lift up to You all of the relationships that we are a part of that are strained. Where there is tension, where there is lack of understanding, where there's struggle to communicate well. And Lord, we want to ask that You would pour out Your grace on these relationships in particular. We pray that You would bring humility to all of our hearts so that we would be quick to listen and slow to speak. That we would have the grace to forgive before we engage in um, conflict. Lord, that we would love the people that we're in relationship with enough to serve them in those conversations. And we know, Lord, that the only, the only hope we have for whole, healthy, healed, thriving relationships comes from You comes from Your grace and from what You've done for us. And, and so, Lord, we pray, strengthen us even to turn to You and to call on You and to ask You to bring Your healing into our relationships, to bring the grace that You do long to give. Lord, I pray that even as we openly acknowledge these tensions and struggles and needs for healing, that, that we'll also be able to come back to You weeks and months ahead and praise You and say, I turned to the Lord and He did. He did bring healing. He brought new understanding. He brought reconciliation. He brought ability to, to see things in myself that I couldn't see. He brought, and on and on that list will go, Lord, but we know that, that You're ever willing to supply. That you're ever willing to give the grace and so, Lord, we, we count on You to meet us in our relationships. We count on You to supply strength as we walk with loved ones who are sick and as we carry our own griefs about their sicknesses. We count on You, Lord, to strengthen us as we, as we look for work and as we look for new places to live. And we do pray with Kelly and with others that need housing. Lord, supply you promise that as we seek first Your kingdom and Your right ways of living, that You'll meet all of our needs. And Your Word says that if, if the birds of the air and the grass of the field, if they're clothed with more splendor than Solomon was in all of his riches, how much more won't You take care of us? And so, Lord, we say to You this morning, we believe You. Strengthen us in our unbelief. Strengthen our hearts with trust. Lord, keep our eyes on You. We pray all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. We do love Jesus. Now we're going to hear all about Jesus' deep, deep love for us. So, Luke 7.36-50. But I'm going to start uh, a verse earlier. Because you'll remember last week, most of you will, that 
Um, as Pastor Gina preached the opening verses of Luke 7, that John was asking some difficult questions. If Jesus is the Messiah, why am I in jail? Why am I going through such difficult circumstances? And he was encouraged to persevere, to trust, to not fall away on account of Jesus. And then there were these words about people who were falling away on account of Jesus or who weren't faithful. In fact, who were, Luke says, they were rejecting God's, Jesus says, Luke quotes, they were rejecting God's purposes for them. Luke says, the Pharisees and the experts of the law rejected God's purpose for them because they'd not been baptized by John. Jesus goes on to speak and then he finishes by saying, but wisdom is proved right by all of her children. Wisdom's proved right by all of her children. In other words, Jesus is calling people who are listening to him. He's saying, you need to discern. You need to look and see what the fruit is of my ministry. Wisdom's proved right by what comes out of it. Her children are what come from her. Pay attention to what comes from my ministry. And then Luke intentionally places this story right here so that we would see what the fruit is of turning to Jesus or of rejecting Jesus. And so then Luke tells this story. He says, When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, He went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of a woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii, it's about a year and a half wages, and the other 50, a couple of months. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. 
You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. The Word of the Lord. Philip Yancey tells a story in a couple of different books. He tells the same story. But he first tells it in in a book that he wrote called The Jesus I Never Knew. The Jesus I Never Knew. And he tells a story about uh, that a friend of his relayed to him. And that friend actually lives not so far from here. Lives in Chicago. And uh, works with the down and out in the inner city of Chicago. And he said that his friend told him that one evening... Late in the evening, a prostitute came to him in, in just dire straits, a complete mess. She began to just pour out her heart through sobs and to tell him a very sordid story. She was homeless, she was addicted to drugs, and she had been selling, she had been renting her two-year-old daughter out. She told him, I, I, I hate myself. But I'm so stuck. And I can make more in an hour renting her out than I can myself in a whole night. And Yancey's friend said he listened to that story and he said, I didn't, I didn't have a clue what to say to this woman. For one, I was liable to report her to CPS. But for two, I just didn't know what to say. And then finally I asked her, have you ever considered going to the church And he said, she looked at me with a look of pure, naive shock. The church, she said. Why would I go to the church? I already hate myself. They would only make me feel worse about who I am. And then Yancey reflects, somehow, somehow, Amazingly, people like this woman were drawn like a magnet to the Lord Jesus. Somehow, people who found themselves in such gross and despicable circumstances found themselves drawn like a magnet to the grace that was in Jesus Christ. That's what we see this morning as we enter into this story. A woman full of sin and yet drawn into the presence of Jesus. There's something about Jesus Christ that is drawing her in. And yet as she she runs into this, this, this dining room drawn, not everybody in that room is drawn to Jesus. So let me... Let me set the situation up a little bit. They're reclining at the table. 
In ancient Near Eastern culture, you didn't sit on chairs. You laid down, sort of, on a pillow that was up against the table. And so where we sit like this, they might have had a U-shaped table where the head was toward the table, but the feet were away on the ground, and the head was kind of propped up on a pillow, and you're taking things off the table. And when we have people over, it's a bit of a closed-door affair usually. But in that culture, when a dignitary is coming to dinner, it's actually an open-door affair. It would be expected that even if you weren't invited to the actual dinner, that you could come in and you could stand against the wall and you could listen to the teacher teach, to the speaker speak. And so it wouldn't have been too strange for this woman to wander in. There might have been... There might have been some turned eyes, some noses going up. There might have been some people saying, did you see? Did you see who just came in? There might have been some glances. But there wouldn't have been too much if she had stayed back by the wall. But she didn't stay there. She comes bursting in and she comes straight to Jesus, drawn like a magnet. Now, we might ask ourselves, and I at least asked, did she have an encounter with him before? Is this her first encounter? Did she meet Jesus on the street? How did she hear about him? Was it the case that Jesus was passing through town and that she was in the crowd and that she locked eyes with him and she saw something in his eyes that she never saw in the eyes of anybody else on earth? Was that the case? Or as she never met him before, and did she have a friend who had an encounter with Jesus? Did she have a friend who was one of those who touched Him, who came to Him, who was in the crowd that Luke Luke described earlier, a couple of chapters that came up to Jesus where He was touching and He was healing and power was going out from Him and that friend came back and said, I met Jesus. And He told me things about Myself that I've never told anybody. He knew them and He didn't condemn me. He just said, I forgive you. And He put His hands on me. And joy came into me and darkness left me. And you got to go and you got to see Jesus. Was that the case? We don't know. All we know is that we see her run into Jesus. She bursts into this room, this gathering of upright people. This gathering of people who appear to have got it all together. And do you, can you imagine what kind of courage it takes to come into that kind of a room where her reputation is known far and wide? What does it take? She doesn't care. She's drawn to Jesus. And as she gets to Him, she's crying already. And I imagine... That these tears that she pours out over Jesus are some grand mix of remorse and repentance and relief and joy. The whole gamut. It's like inside this woman's heart has been years and years of bottled pain and shame and the self-loathing that comes with sinning and failing and getting stuck and caught and not finding relief 
and trying and failing again and having people accuse you and people condemn you and people look down at you and having relationships broken and lost. That whole cycle, it's, it's wound up, it's bound up, it's all inside. And somehow, the presence of Jesus and the power of His Spirit is enough to draw out all that's on the inside. Because in Jesus' presence, when she gets to Jesus, I believe that what she's seen, what she's heard, is confirmed. And that as she gets to His feet and she starts crying, that Jesus turns from that table and He looks up into her eyes. And in that moment, she knows it's all true. She knows that He is the One who knows everything. That He is God. That He doesn't condemn. That He loves. That He forgives. And so, there's freedom in the presence of Jesus for the tears to flow. And they do. She doesn't have to cap it because Jesus is safe. He's holy. He's pure. But He loves And so it all comes out. It all spills. It spills so much that that she's snotting. She's weeping. She's not just crying. Luke says she's weeping. She's pouring it out. And because Jesus loves, she begins to love Him back right away. She gets down. Now she gets down on her knees and she does what no respectable woman in the ancient Near East would do. She lets down her hair. And she doesn't care what anybody says because Jesus has loved her. And so she's going to use that hair and she dries His feet in an act of love. She's washed Him. She knows that He's cleansed her and so her tears are cleansing His feet and she's washing back the One who's washed her. Not a word is being said, but there's a washing and there's a drying and there's an anointing. And she pours out expensive oil. She pours out all that she has. She loves Jesus. And somehow, in the presence of such beautiful, holy love, Someone else is able to be so self-righteous that he says to himself, now, if Jesus were a prophet, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of a woman this is. That she's a sinner. And the great irony is that he's right. He's absolutely right. He's wrong and he's right. You see, the way that the wording is in the original language, it actually expects a negative answer. The way that it could be rephrased is, this man can't be a prophet. There's no chance he could be a prophet because he'd know if you were a prophet, who's touching him? And prophets don't let holy people, don't let unholy people touch them. And yet, he's right. Jesus is a prophet. She is a sinner. Jesus welcomes her touch. And so Jesus goes on to tell a story because Jesus wants to teach Simon 
that Jesus doesn't divide the human family the way that Simon does. The human family divides between the righteous and the sinners or between those who have big sin problems and those who might have little sin problems. And so Jesus tells a story. And Simon gets the story. And Jesus, maybe begrudgingly, Simon gets the story, but he gets it. And Jesus says to him, this woman clearly loves me much because she's clearly been forgiven of many sins and she knows that. And then he ends with these words. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. And the great mistake that we could make here would be to think that he's telling Simon that Simon only has little love because Simon's only been forgiven of a little. And that's not at all what Jesus is saying. What Jesus is saying is that the way he divides the human family is between those who have an awareness of the amount that they need to be forgiven and of the forgiveness that God extends through him and of those who have no awareness or have little awareness. Jesus isn't saying that Simon only needs a little forgiveness. Jesus has told us elsewhere in the Gospels that though we might contain our actions from sinning, sin comes from the heart. Out of the overflow of the heart, Jesus says, comes greed and lust, laziness, jealousy, quarreling, anger, bitterness, strife, deceit. The whole gamut. It's the heart that needs changing. Jesus has shown us that clearly. And the way to the heart The only way that ever changes a human being is grace. It's Jesus' love opening us up, meeting us in the moment of our deepest awareness of our need, not with condemnation, but with an extension of forgiveness. And the horrible, sad irony is that the woman who's a mess goes away in peace, forgiven, and that the man whose life isn't actually such a mess, at least on the outside, and yet who still desperately needs forgiveness, goes away without it because he doesn't have an awareness of his need. So I think the Lord would invite us um, as we conclude, to just reflect on four, four things or to make four observations flowing out of Jesus' encounter with this woman and with Simon. The first is that Jesus Christ is completely approachable when we're mired in sin. He is completely approachable. And so that just begs the question, Is the Jesus that you know approachable when you're stuck, when you're mired in sin? When you've blown it again as a parent or as a spouse, when you have turned to a substance instead of to the Lord and His Word and then you've become aware of what you've done, when you've gotten stuck again in lust or you've 
lied or you've whatever it is, is the Jesus that you know approachable at that moment? I had a man share with me recently that he had an experience of sinning in his dream. He dreamt that he was sinning. And um, it was a very real experience. And he said, I woke up from that dream and immediately I um, got out of my bed, went to a place of prayer and just began to talk to the Lord and to say, Lord, this just happened. And, um, and I, I don't know where it comes from, but I bring it to you. I'm sorry that it happened. I pray that you'd show me, that you'd root it out. But he said, I felt so at home bringing it to the Lord because I knew that he loved me and that he didn't condemn me. And he said, that's such a change for me. Before I would have had that experience and I would have woken up and I would have felt this sense of shame and darkness and the sense of separation, like I didn't want to bring this thing that had just happened or I'd been made aware of to the Lord. Really, I wanted to kind of clean it up first. Simon tries to clean things up first. And it doesn't work. This woman shows us that we can approach Jesus before things are clean. And that it's actually the reception of His grace and His love and the work of His Spirit that empowers us to be cleaned up. Is the Jesus that you know approachable when you're in a mess, when you're stuck in sin? And I think that begs a second question. Are you approachable? Am I approachable to others? What will they get from us when they come and share their sin-stained messes? Can they expect the same grace, the same love from us that they could and should be able to expect from Jesus? I think the answer is that all of us to some degree or another really fail to represent the grace of Jesus. And so the prayer there is, Lord, make me more like You. Second observation is that Jesus' only requirement for extending full forgiveness is full self-disclosure. That's His only requirement. That we be totally honest. That we be open. The woman is open She receives. Simon's not. He's not self-aware. He's self-deceived. He's holding his cards close to his chest. He's not willing to look at all of them nor to show them to Jesus. She shows them. She receives. And so the prayer is, Lord, help us to be honest. Help us in the context of Your love to fully disclose. The third observation, very simple, but it needs to be restated. Faith saves. I'm so glad that Luke included Jesus' words here. It wasn't the woman's actions. It wasn't her display of love. It wasn't anything other than faith in Jesus Christ. Who the Bible says has washed away the sins of the world. Has atoned for them. And yet, There needs to be this reaching out, this belief in, this attachment to Jesus. He's unwilling to do it. 
she is. Faith saves. And here's the beautiful piece of that, the last, the fourth observation. That the fruit of receiving forgiveness from Jesus is extravagant love for Jesus, which Jesus delights to receive from us. I think of the story of John and Julie who had been underwater in their um, mortgage payments for over two years. And um, it was partially to mostly their fault because of some irresponsibility with their funds. They had at one point had plenty of funds to pay, um, were irresponsible with them, and then the funds dried up. And they knew for quite some time that they were going to have to face um, foreclosure. And as the day approached for them to go and to visit the bank, um, they sweated nervous bullets and thought of every good speech that they might give to try to convince the bank to let them keep their beloved home just a little longer to let them scrounge. And John had three different ones prepared. And when he finally got in the presence of that banker, all of his speeches just kind of disappeared on him. And he knew that they didn't have anything to say. And the banker looked them in the eyes and he said to them, you know, we really do want you to be able to keep your home. We don't want to take it from you. Uh, But there's just no way that you're going to be able to do that given your current situation and your current finances. And so what we're going to do is we're going to do that for you. And he rips up the loan papers and he hands them the deed and he says, John and Julie, here's your house. Yeah, Kind of unheard of, isn't it? And you can imagine that John and Julie jump up and that they feel like, and they do, hug and even kiss this man they've never met before. There's such gratitude. There's such relief. I mean, there's been years of sweating nervous bullets and of knowing what's coming and yet it doesn't come. Instead, just the opposite comes. And they get the home. And not only do they get the home, they get no loan. It's like a totally new life. God comes to each of us in Jesus. He comes and He says, I want you to have life to the full. I want you to live in my joy and my peace. I want you to experience my love. I want you to be my children. And I know that you can't do that on your own, but I want you to have it. And so He tears up the papers that were written against us and He hands us the deed to life in Jesus. And He says, here it is. And He loves it when we jump up and when we hug Him and when we kiss Him and when we pour out lavish love upon Him. He loves it. And so I just think that that we're, we're invited to consider this morning the level, the current level of our gratitude and our love for Jesus Christ and for God the Father. Have they waxed and have they waned and have they grown cold or are they fresh? Because had you met that banker and had he done that to you, you'd never stop telling your friends about what happened to you and about that banker. And so friends, we're invited to consider our love for the Lord. And really, is it evidenced? I I think of these words that Jesus Himself spoke to the church in Ephesus. In Revelation, John wrote them, Jesus says, I know your deeds and your hard work and your perseverance. 
I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people. You've tested those who claim to be apostles or messengers of mine, but are not. You've found them false. You've persevered and have endured hardships for my name, and you've not grown weary. Yet this I hold against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Jesus says that it's a fall. Not out of faith, but it's a fall to fall away from extravagantly loving Him. From pouring out all that we are and have and ever will be like oil or perfume over His feet. And even though all these other things, perseverance and endurance and continued faith and testing those who aren't false, are good and right, Jesus says, love Me. Love Me with all your heart. Do not be ashamed to pour it out in worship and in service in life. Love Me. I think of His words, if anyone's ashamed of Me in this generation... The Son of Man will be ashamed of Him when He comes in all His glory with His holy angels. He says, don't be ashamed. Love Me the way this woman loves Me. Love Me more than you pour out love at sporting events or for lovers and family members or for hobbies. Love Me. Feel free and uninhibited to love Me the way that this woman does. Friends, receive again. Um, this good news and this invitation this morning. That the papers are torn, the deed is given, and that if lavish love for the Lord isn't our experience, that the Lord invites us to receive afresh that good news, to allow His Spirit to kindle it daily, hourly within our hearts, and that He desires to fill us with a love back for Him. He's always had a desire for a reciprocal love relationship with His people. He holds at bay those who have any measure of self-reliance. But those who say, I need You. Lord, I need You. Every hour I need You. He says, You have Me. I'm Yours. You're Mine. I'll never let You go. He pours out His love. So let's end, let's end by going to the Lord in prayer. I'm going to leave some, I'm going to lead us into prayer and leave some space for silence for the, the Holy Spirit to continue on what He's doing in our hearts right now. Lord, we prayed before this service as we gathered that Your grace would flow like a river in our midst. And it is. It's flowing from Your throne in heaven to our hearts. We're receiving it. We're loving it and loving You for the way that You've loved us. Lord, receive our love now as we pray to You. The King has died. The King has risen. The King has ascended and reigning in heaven. The King will come again to claim all of those who are His. The King holds us in the palm of His hand until that day. And so receive the King's peace. Friends, may the peace which passes all understanding guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus this week. Amen.